Have those Marvel blues while Black Widow's theatrical release date is consistently delayed? Well, turn that frown upside down because yet another MCU podcast is here to guide you through the MCU one movie at a time. That's right, Mike. Each episode, we break down one movie from the MCU and talk about its connections with the source material, comic books. Which means I get to learn so many fascinating things like about Alpha Flight. The Canadian Avengers. Who knew? And Moon Knight. A multiple personality superhero. Seriously? And then there's Man-Thing. Yeah, not really sure how to explain that one. Pretty sure no one can. Yet another MCU podcast, part of the Forgotten Entertainment family. Hi, I'm Mike. And I'm Dave. And join us every Thursday for a new episode of Two Player Bros, a podcast about two guys who play way too many video games. Join me and Dave as we talk about the latest in Xbox, PlayStation, PC, and VR news, previews, and reviews. We have it all, and we play it all. And join us every other week for Post Game, where we play through and dive deep into our favorite modern classics and new releases. That's Two Player Bros, available every Thursday wherever you get your podcast. part of the Forgotten Entertainment family. Ladies and gentlemen, please notice that exits are conveniently located at the front and rear of this auditorium. When leaving the theater, we suggest that the exit at the front of the auditorium will allow you easier access to the parking areas. Thank you. Boom! I guess I like sports movies! Yeah, like real creepy-like. Did you notice him with his pants down? Oh, with his pants yeah. I just noticed somebody was there. Yeah. No, his, his pants are down. He's taking a dump. Is that, and I'm thinking to myself, <laughs> I want to do the secret cabal stuff. I don't want to just go oh, and drink. Still, you still got to wear a cloak and stuff. No, I no, no. I want, the, I want the real cabal stuff. Like, I want the stuff <laughs> we're controlling the world. I want the secret break. You know what? Screw that. Hello, I'm Mike Field. And I'm Mike Butler. And you're listening to the Forgotten Cinema Podcast. Each episode, we highlight a film that, for a variety of reasons, was forgotten by audiences. Whether it's because a more popular movie was released at the same time, or the movie simply didn't catch on with an audience in its initial run. We'll discuss what we love about the movie, or perhaps don't love about it, but we'll always recommend you revisit it. If you enjoy our podcast, please feel free to rate, review, and subscribe on Apple Podcasts, Spotify, or wherever you're listening to this podcast right now. Woo! You do that often. You do the Ric Flair woo quite a bit. Do I? There's probably, like, you could have a cut of reel of just your Ric <laughs> Flair woos. Ripping. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> 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 all right we are in the beginning of season seven mike what movie are we doing and what it's about we're doing 1981's thief starring james Kahn. did you forget his name i already? almost said michael mann starring, <laughs> starring sonny from godfather starring james Kahn and directed by michael mann frank is an expert professional safecracker specializing in high profile diamond jobs after having spent many years in prison, he has a very concrete picture of what he wants out of life, including a nice home, a wife, and kids. As soon as he is able to assemble the pieces of this collage by means of his chosen profession, he intends to retire and become a model citizen. In an effort to accelerate this process, he signs on to take down a huge score for a big-time gangster. Unfortunately, Frank's obsession for this version of the American dream allows him to overlook his natural weariness and mistrust when making the deal for his final job. He is thus ensnared and robbed of his freedom, his independence, and ultimately, his dream. <laughs> nice, nice. I mean, that's, that's, that's accurate, but that stuff towards the end happens like in the last 15 minutes of the movie. Yeah, so. I also don't know if it's necessary when you're just describing a synopsis to a movie. This is true. So, Thief! All right, I'm done with that. Now, Thief <laughs> is a runtime of 123 minutes. It's rated R, production budget of $5.5 million. I realized I leaned on that R like a pirate. Uh, its release date was March 27th, 1981. It was a limited release. 
most of these movies that were released around its time are also limited. I'm going to assume that in the early 80s, it wasn't much of a wide release of, of films back then. So it's opening weekend. It did $4.3 million domestic and worldwide are the same, 11.4. So, I mean, it doubled its budget. It's probably a mild success, I would assume. Mm. Produced by Jerry Bruckheimer and Ronnie Kahn and distributed by United Artists, UA. So on the same day that it was released, the 27th of March, 1981, you had Eyes of a Stranger. Did you see that movie? No. Yeah, me either. Uh, the week after, <laughs> on April 3rd, you had Atlantic City. I believe that's with Burt Lancaster. On March 20th, which is the week before this, you had the Final Conflict, which is also known as the Omen 3, the Final Conflict. That I've seen parts of. This is when Sam Neill gets himself in the office or is trying to get in the office. <laughs> I, I, it's, it's very vague. Like I've seen it, but it's maybe like so once late at night, so I probably missed, forgot about it. You also had Amy, The Postman Always Rings Twice with Jack Nicholson, mm-hmm. Kelly, and then Cutter's Way. So uh, I would assume that not many people know these movies with the exception of The Omen 3 and The Postman Always Rings Twice. That's the only one I've seen all the way through. Postman Always Rings Twice? Yeah. Nice. So as Mike said, it was directed by Michael Mann. It's also written by Michael Mann. He wrote the screen story. He's got a double credit screen story and screenplay, which is interesting. Mm-hmm. Michael Mann has been nominated for an Oscar for The Insider for both uh, directing and writing. He's also done the movie Manhunter, which is the first film that has Hannibal Lecter in it. Mm-hmm. Uh, Brian Cox plays Hannibal Lecter. William Peterson's in that as well as uh, Will Graham. Well, yeah, yeah, geez, I just I just watched Hannibal too. <laughs> he also did Heat Collateral, which is an episode we did, and it's what it what Season made one. It, what ma- it's the movie that made Mike want to be who he is right now. And then I more- like who I am. <laughs> <laughs> and then the movie but the more recently the movie black hat he's also actually written and directed the last mohegans miami vice the movie and he wrote public enemies the movie starring johnny depp he created miami vice the tv show he did yes the movie's actually pretty good and i think we talked about the director's cut the director's right cut yeah is way better than yeah the which one. i have not seen so I, I should catch that now this movie is based on a book written by frank hohemer or hoheimer it's called The Home Invaders, Confessions of a Cat Burglar. But unfortunately, that is not his name. His real name is John Siebold, and he is an American jewel thief. And he actually served as a technical advisor on the set of this movie while having outstanding FBI warrants against him for his arrest. Nice. But I should say this whole time out. I get that note. And then I see the other note where it says he was in jail when they shot this movie. So I don't get what to think here. But anyways, he went to jail from 95 to 2001, and he passed away, I believe, 2005. So... It, we'll get into it, but just give, it was based on a book. Cinematography by Donald Thorin. He has done Purple Rain, The Golden Child, Midnight Run, and Sense of a Woman. Have you seen The Golden Child? Have we talked about The Golden Child before? Yeah. With Eddie Murphy? Yeah. I like that movie. Composed by Tangerine Dream. Uh, they've done Sorcerer, which was another episode we did in season one. Mm-hmm. Firestarter, Three O'Clock High, and then another movie we did, Near Dark. That's right. And we'll get to Tangerine Dream it's in a second. My first note in the, in the whole thing is we just keep on doing Tangerine Dream. We're going to do their whole filmography. Well, you know what? I'll, I'll get to this then right away now. This movie was nominated for a Razzie for score, for worst score of the year. What? Yeah, exactly. What are you fucking thinking about, Razzie Awards? I mean, are you kidding me? They, like, it, un, well, unbelievable. That, that just, come, come on. At worst, the soundtrack is fine. It's stupid. It's but, stupid the fact that they got nominated for that, and that really ticks me off. That it's just, that's like, haters going to hate cause something new. Because this was their first kind of big movie mm-hmm. or first maybe the first movie and but they set the stage for a whole decade of 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 music yeah this is clearly like yeah. an 80s score so the razzies should uh should walk that back <laughs> <laughs> uh like you said produced by Bruckheimer and ronnie khan uh Bruckheimer's done everything i mean he's done every big movie that you've seen in the summer 
top the two top guns a new one that's coming out at some point and in the future uh days of thunder uh he, he armageddon everything he has Pirates done franchise. everything yes uh, in 60 seconds <laughs> ronnie khan has done nothing <laughs> <laughs> i apologize uh edited by dove honig he uh was nominated for an oscar for the fugitive he also did uh overboard the crow and dark city and a bunch of other films uh, real quick, the cast isn't a big one. James Conn plays Frank. Uh, he he won the Oscar for The Godfather. Uh, he also was in Misery, Rollerball, and then a personal favorite of mine, Honeymoon in Vegas. Tuesday Weld is, plays Jesse. She won the Oscar for Looking for Mr. Goodbar, and she's also in Once Upon a Time in America and then Falling Down. Willie Nelson's in here as Okla. His real name's David, I guess, because that's the name of their kid. So. Mm-hmm. And uh, if you, Willie Nelson's obviously country singer, balladeer, if you will. He's also been in Zoolander, too, if that matters to you. Jim Belushi as Barry. Uh, I know Jim Belushi from The Principal. <laughs> you may know him from Red, Hate, Red Heat, excuse me, Trading Places, Mr. Destiny. And he's in Undrafted, which is a movie that my friend shot and was also directed by Joe Mazzello. He was actually just in Bohemian Rhapsody, but he was also obviously, he's Timmy and Jurassic Park, for those who don't know. Not that I really want to bring up a child, you know, actor that's his only credit. It's not his only credit, but anyway. Robert Prosky as Leo. This is Robert Prosky's first film, and he's 50 years old. First movie. That's nice. right. Prosky's also in Broadcast News, Mrs. Doubtfire, Last Action Hero, and The Natural, which I love. Tom Signorelli as Italia. I think I said that right. Hide in Plain Sight, The Cotton Club, and then Dick Tracy. Dennis Farina makes a brief appearance as, he's got a name too, Carl, who doesn't say much. He's in Get Shorty, Snatch, Manhunter as well, and Midnight Run, which is awesome. And then, actually, we talked about William Peterson. He has a really small part as the bartender who gets pushed around by uh, Frank yep. when he tries to stop him. And um, he is in CSI. He plays uh, Gil Grissom in the CSI TV show. Like I said, he was in Manhunter. Uh, he's in The Contender, and he's in the Mark Wahlberg, Let Me in the House, Fear. Oh, if you've ever seen that movie. Remember that one? When he's dating Reese Witherspoon, and Peterson's the father of Reese Witherspoon. He's sitting there. There's a man just come on. I just want to come in. Let me in the house! And he's at the... That's the on the commercial. You don't remember that? I don't remember that one. Oh yeah, oh yeah. That's an old. That's a that's <laughs> a early. Is that early nineties? It's got to be early nineties. Yeah. Wow, I thought you saw. I, that's like a. That was like a classic trailer thing. Like everybody knew about when you saw it because it was just so ridiculous. I'll have to check it out later. Yeah, it doesn't <laughs> ring a bell. <laughs> All right, so. I always like doing the older films because there's a lot more going on there. I think I don't know. It's just nice to go back. Um, you have never seen this, right? Nope. Hit me with it. Let's go. Well, it was a movie. Nice. Nah, nice. It's it's really, really good. I would say some parts are a little cliche. Story-wise, it's a little cliched. But James Caan's performance is incredible. Yep. I think his performance really elevates the movie to like a tier above general crime flick. And every scene he's in, he's incredibly interesting to watch because... You know, at first you watch him and you're like, this guy's a jerk. I'm going to be rooting for this guy. But then you learn about his life and, you know, the monologue and the diner scene and it, all of it. It's just his performance really glued me to that screen and, and made a otherwise more mundane kind of by the books thriller. Something that's it's I can see why it's part of the Criterion Collection. Uh, well, that scene that you're talking about in the diner is obviously what this movie's known for. Um, not just not the whole dialogue scene, but the monologue when he's talking about um how he's, the, these guys want to turn him yeah. out and all that stuff and just kind of like what he did. And yeah, no, it's, it's really good. And it's almost, I don't know if I'm a big Tuesday Weld fan in this. I don't know if maybe just in that scene, uh, sometimes I felt like she was doing something different than he was, but that's his intensity. That's con. So I can't really kind of knock her for that. That's just how he is. 
Do you know what I mean? Yeah, I also feel like she was probably given direction that didn't end up jiving all that great. Maybe. Like, now be sad. All right, now be happy. Now be mad. Now be the, She just, her, the gamut of emotions she goes through. Right. There's no lead into those emotions. It's right. just all of a sudden, which is very kind of, and this is a movie made in the 80s, but that's very kind of early 70s, 60s. Of course, yeah. Woman with her man being upset by her man kind of mentality. <laughs> oh, her man. He shouldn't want to be his man. She says it later. <sighs> You're my man. <laughs> well, she said that I rolled my eyes. <laughs> so, well, tell me, let's, because there's a bunch of things I, I want to talk about in terms of what I really liked in the movie, but I'm curious, because uh, you brought it up, I'm curious the cliched stuff that kind of bugged you. Well, why don't we dive into that? <laughs> <laughs> it didn't really bug me, but I was able to, the, I could see how the movie was going to end a mile away, kind of. In terms really? Of, I knew Oakley was going to die. I knew he wasn't getting his dream. I, I knew as soon as he saw the collage paper, that was, I thought he'd be burning it by the end of the film. I was like, he's setting that on fire by the end of the movie. Right. Yeah, I figured he'd get the, like, when the girl's like, I don't want you. Clearly, he's going to end up with her. As soon as the mob was like, hey, work for me. I was like, all right, no. And he walks in like, well, he's working for him. Right. And then I knew as soon as he got the baby, I was like, all right, now he owes the mob boss too much. And now that's going to be the, right. be the film. Uh, the only thing that I've, I mean, it wasn't anything like too big, but I was surprised about is the cops that are chasing the mob guy. Oh, they're the worst. They're not actually trying to investigate him. They're trying to find new people to be on their take. Which is, the, is interesting. They're terrible. Like the cops are so like that. One, so, Sar, so Sergeant Urizi, I'm gonna talk about him right now. Sergeant Urizi, uh, he's actually a consultant on the movie as well because he was a real thief. Okay. So he was one of the guys that was on the film. I can't remember John something. I should have wrote it down. But anyways, I was like the whole thing. I was like, can you tie your tie? Can you just <laughs> tie the tie the yeah. right way? I, well, that is the and I'm thinking you're a cop. You were the most lazy. It's the laziest cop I've ever. Oh, it's terrible. It's They're just terrible. To be lazy cops. I know. I know. But... They're like the corruption of like a Batman cop cranked <laughs> up to like 25. <laughs> it's it's uh yeah, it's a little much. But granted, I once I read that he was an actual thief and they had him in the movie, they put him as a cop. I was like, all right, I'll, I'll, I'll let it get a pass because Michael Mann's one of Michael Mann's thing is obviously uh, crime movies, but also yeah. putting real life people in there. Um, we talked about, I mean, this is, this is off topic, but we talked about in Freakin's movie Sorcerer, how they actually brought an arsonist right, come yeah. down to blow up that tree, like similar thing here. So the, the stuff that Khan, well, you know what? Let, okay. No, I'll go into it. The stuff that <laughs> Khan uses, uh, the tools that he uses to crack the safe in the opening are real safe crack. He was trained by these thieves on how to use them. I which, figured it. Knowing Michael Mann, I was just Which like, is awesome. At the beginning of the movie, I'm like, he's really cracking that safe. They, Look at that magnet. So that safe, <laughs> they bought that safe for the movie. It's a $10,000 safe, and they bought that safe specifically for Khan to break into for the opening of the movie. Don't mess this up. Right. I, I don't want to buy it. He is one. breaking <laughs> into that safe for real. He's not. That's all legit that he does. he's doing that. That's awesome. I, I, I don't know. I love that. Even the scene when he's using the giant rod. Oh, uh, you could tell that's real. That, that he, Even if he's not the guy right, in the suit. Right. He's that. Re, they're really using that. They're really burning that through, the, the, which, is, which is another great scene. Um, but let me ask you this about cliched stuff. Yeah. It's a 1981 movie. Yeah. Are you... We have this discussion all the time. This movie predates a lot of the movies you've seen already. So do you think that it's unfair to say it's cliched because it's come before a lot of the movies you've seen? Nah, they've been doing movies about thieves since the 30s and 40s. I get that. It's a, it's a different dialogue, same storyline. 
it, it's it's the storyline, the general storyline that I find cliched. Sure. Well, there's but like I said, the performances and the way it was filmed, all because it's got a lot of Michael Mann in it mm-hmm. as well, obviously. But it's his first film. There's a lot in this film in terms of how they made the film and the acting in the film that elevates it above it. It's just the storyline I find cliched. Well, I think there's that always that philosophy or that thought process that uh, there's no new stories. All the stories have been told. Right. And it's your job to hide that or or elevate it, as you say. But I, I, I'm I probably not as negative as you are. I know you're not negative. I'm just saying yeah. I'm not as down on it as you are um, just because like I had a my not my problem, but I found myself getting a little antsy and bored during the scenes with. A Jesse with his with his wife. Well, they were never married though. They they're just together. No, they got married because he calls they? it his his wife. I okay. was wondering that too. I was like, they skip a lot married? of time. Yeah. yeah. So, and because, but I get it. They're building up his, um, his relationship with her. Just his, you know, his kind of trying to have that life. Right. They're which building is, his collage. Right. And that's all good. That it, it. I'm not knocking that. The reason I think why I'm, I was antsy is because I really loved the casing of the joint. I really loved the breaking in scenes i loved all that so much i was so like into that mm-hmm. that i think in the other stuff just was like no no, no i don't i don't want to see that kind of like an empire strikes back i always hated the dagobah stuff right dagobah one is that where uh, uh yoda yeah you hated the yoda stuff I, I because it was boring because i wanted to watch mind you yeah. i'm i'm a teenager <laughs> when i'm watching this i'm not that young but I I was I always wanted to watch the action. I was one, I was interested in the other stuff, and then they come. And but I get it. That stuff sets up. That's necessary. You need that stuff. I, I you, you know yeah. what I mean? Yeah. But I was always riveted in the just the breaking into the stuff, just casing the joint, trying to figure it out. That stuff interested me. The the opening when he breaks into the safe in the opening, they could have done that entire scene without any dialogue, and I would have been okay. They did. They had a couple of things like we ready to go, we good, and they walk out, yeah. and that's it. I don't know if you've ever seen the movie Rafifi. Have you ever seen that? I've heard of it, but I've never seen it. Yeah, so it has, you know why I'm bringing it up. It's got, it's go, so it's a, it's a, it's a French film and it's about a, it's about a heist. Mm -hmm. But when they do the heist, so the whole movie's going on. And then as they do the heist, it's 45 minutes of no dialogue. It's just them doing the heist. Hmm. And it's like, and you don't care because you're into it. Like you're all about it. I think that, like that kind of idea, like I would, I would have loved the opening. And it kind of does it for a little bit. They do say like a couple words here and there, but why bother? You don't, you don't even need to do that. Because it was riveting just watching it, I thought. I mean, I guess. I mean, yeah. they're just saying, are you ready? Yeah, I'm ready. Yeah, I know, but I, they're not you in know. the same room. How true. else do they know? True, true. But no, the beginning of the film is just uh, excellent. The way it's shot, you know, I, I put a note that it's classic Michael Mann, like nighttime realism, although it's not quite on the level of collateral because you, you have to light the scene. But the way that rain's coming down and the way he's showing these alleyways and the, the camera movements going down and the spotlight shining in the rain and highlighting these kind of grimy parts of, of the city in in a in a way that's very real and down to earth, almost kind of French connection-y. Yeah. Just kind of this ugliness of of the city. Well, these cities in the 70s and 80s are not what they are now. They're no, not I know. Fan, they're, clean yeah, and fan, they're, you know, they're gross, like, right. Yeah, like New York City all the time. This is Chicago that we're in, but in New York City, Times Square was not a place you wanted to hang yeah, out, but now place. it's like a tourist attraction. Yeah, absolutely. He had a 60,000-gallon truck 60,000 water gallon truck on set at all times to wet down the street after it for every shot he's got to have that that neon <laughs> and the light the fluorescence highlighter classic man <laughs> i thought I, I i enjoyed that quite a bit um 
So the other stuff, because I want to get back to like some of the riveting stuff. Uh, the dialogue scene with between yes, the diner scene's fantastic and his story is awesome. And the way he tells it, there's in that scene, like I don't know how you feel about when you watch actors perform, you know, major monologues in movies, but while I enjoy like when they get emotional and maybe there's tears coming, I actually like it when they're not and they're fighting it. And it's almost like they're fighting back emotion. Like you like con, like, you know that, you know, he could have, he could have tried to take a turn where he gets choked up a little bit or he tears up. And I guess that would have been all well and good, but it's a little bit more impressive when you know that emotions there underneath and he's not, letting himself go there and you can see that as he's doing it i don't know how you feel about that no i thought again i thought i thought his monologue is like his monologue is so good like i wrote the word astounding in my notes like (laughs) it's it's a monologue you should show to acting classes or acting in film class like it is like you say he holds back his emotion but it's the undercurrent still there but at the same time you get this you you feel that he he says at the end of the monologue you know I don't care about myself. I don't care about anything else. There's nothing I care about. And you got to be that way. And it's like, you absolutely get that. And Mm. if he had choked up, if he had gotten too emotional, he would have ruined that end line. And in within that one monologue, you know, his character, like inside and out, like, Mm -hmm. boom, you're good. Yeah. And, uh, and even in that monologue, when he talks about, you know, they want to turn him out, you know, he tells them how they get, they take one new kid, they bring him upstairs, they gangbang him, you know, mm-hmm. if he fights, they just beat the crap out of him, right. put him in the infirmary, put him in that house, he says. And he says that he, he talks about how he fights back and he, but then like, he says like, and then, you know, they jump out, a bunch of guys jump on me and they did a bunch of stuff like you, and he doesn't go any further and you're sitting yeah. there going, oh, what stuff? <laughs> you know, what stuff? <laughs> like you're initially, you're just immediately like, oh, what stuff? Oh, yeah. oh wait a minute. Is he, and, but it, it, he, it's kind of like, you're right. It doesn't affect him. It's nothing. And it all set and it all sets up the ending. And I found it a little bit striking that he decides to just burn it all down just to blow everything up and burn it all down. And yeah. You know what I mean? I thought that was I was like, wow. OK, but but well, that makes the, sense. It's to stick it to uh, Leo. Right. But he's like, hey, he's no, I of everything. You got your job. You got your family. You don't you don't got nothing no more. And it's like he's like, I, I got nothing. I don't care. Yeah. Exactly. He throws away his collage at the end. It's, that's he's just sticking it to. That's not. He's not doing that for him. No, I know. He's doing that for Leo. Yeah. Although Leo doesn't get to know that because he kills Leo. Where Leo probably learns <laughs> his, it. Yeah. His wife didn't care. Leo's wife's just like I'm watching my I shows. Love that. <laughs> she just looks. She looks all tired. She's like, eh, guess it's time. <laughs> Absolutely. <laughs> but also, I wanted to talk about the scene when Leo first meets Frank. Their back and forth is really good. Like the dialogue, the, the the quick, just how they're talking. Like when right. they start talking business, and they they kind of start like feeling. You get a little like sunny from from Godfather there a little bit, and I think it's, it's tough to not get that when you're watching James Con perform. But when they start talking business, and he starts hearing them out, you see how the conversation grows, and it kind of starts in the middle, and then he goes back to the car, and then Leo's with him on the car, and next thing you know, they're pals and they're talking, and they're just going back and forth, back and forth. I thought that dialogue was really, really good. It was, yeah, yeah. You get the you get the sense that you know Frank wants to work for himself. You get the dialogue right off the bat. You don't get any kind of pretense. You don't get any kind of overly dramatic. Because again, James Khan could easily just kind of go over the board. Like I told you no, or like yeah. this. Or he goes, I told you no. Like he keeps everything at this calm level. Although he does swear at him, he does like berate him and stuff like that. Yeah, he stands up to himself. He does it in such a calm manner that it's like 
you don't mess with that guy. He's it's almost more dangerous that he doesn't ever really explode. Khan's working with a lot of tools here in this movie uh, to the point. Um, so the scene when he finds out that Okla it, it dies mm-hmm. and he says in the doctor comes out and he's like, you know, he's dead. And Khan made the decision to just stare at him, like just coldly stare at him. And I guess the because I had this note because the doctor's like, like, you OK? You, you want to sit down? And I'm thinking to myself, why are you saying that to him? You just told him his buddy's died. Why would you? <laughs> but the doctor got legitimately, the actor got legitimately scared at James Conn staring at him that that his reaction is real. <laughs> <laughs> so, uh, but it just shows you That's that awesome. Khan is on a, is, is working with a, on a different level. Not like, oh, he's better than everyone here. No, he's just working on a different level and using a lot of tools at his disposal. And it's, uh, it's tough because James Conn's always going to be known for Sonny and the guy. Yes. And it's a great role. Mm-hmm. And, and it's a and he won the Oscar for it. It's but this movie is one of his proudest. This movie that that scene we keep talking about the diner scene is one of his favorite moments that he's ever right. done. He just tweeted about it. Uh, we're recording I saw this that. September eleventh. He tweeted about it September 9th. Yeah, tweeting about Thief. But he's always known for Godfather and people who only know him for Godfather. You should watch this movie because it'll. I don't know. I don't know how you feel. It sounds like you're making an argument for it being forgotten cinema. Oh, obviously. Well, I'm just saying that I I think <laughs> but that no, absolutely. Yeah. I think the acting that James Conn does hey if you're a Michael Mann film you should watch this film because yeah. you get a lot of like early stuff that you see cross over into like stuff like Collateral and Miami Vice and Heat but James Conn's performance in this is unbelievable mm-hmm. and it might take a little while for you to get there to the diner scene it does take about 25 minutes to it's get not to that it's not that far though but yeah no I hear yeah. you yeah like at first you'd be like oh well, he's just a thief all right and then you get that diner scene and then from all everything out from there is very personal and very interesting. And you suddenly can watch every little thing he does as, as kind of peek behind the veil. Yeah. It, it's just awesome. And, and, and it's funny because you have a Jim Belushi who's not a Jim Belushi like everybody. This is his first film. And he's like, he's playing, you know, he's, got, he's not jokey. He's not, you know, fooling around. It's just, it's a straight role. And it's, right. it's funny. It's weird, but it's good. It works. I mean, he's great. Yeah. It's just, not that I'm saying he couldn't do it, but it's just, I know people would know him from obviously his later stuff that I even some of the stuff I said, like Mr. Destiny and yeah uh, and stuff like that. So, but in this, he's just, you know, almost, I don't want to say straight lace because that's not the term, but I don't know. What's the term? I don't know what the term would be. That's great. I think yeah, I guess. But, you, but it's I think a straight part. Right. You understand what I'm saying? Yeah. He was in Twin Peaks as a mob boss. Oh, I, never, see, I never watched In mob, the reboot. Yeah. Oh, really? In the, uh, okay. the relaunch one, uh, the new season. He's really good as that, too. I also noticed Jim Belushi doesn't really age. Got <laughs> <laughs> he's got those jeans, I guess. Yeah. Uh but no, he's he's very good in this role. Yeah. I so before the diner scene, when he goes and gets when Frank goes to get Jesse out of the bar, the Cats and Jammers bar, which I guess is a real bar, I think. I know his the bar that he owned, the Green Mill, that's mm-hmm. a real bar. Not anymore. Well, no, that was a real <laughs> bar. Well, I my note here is like that's quite an exit he had out of that bar. So he threatens the bartender who's going to hit him with it, who comes over and tells him to stop yelling at Jesse and he shows him his gun, threatens the bartender, rips her from the stool, drags her outside, punches a dude who's minding his, you know, doesn't, who's trying to like butt in, yep. nearly backs over people, causes an accident as he's driving out. I'm like, geez, that's, that's quite the exit. Yeah. That scene I wasn't particularly fond of. I oh, guess. really? I thought it was kind of out of character. This is a guy who's trying to lay low. This is a respectable businessman, so to speak. He's got a bar in town. He's got a, a car dealership in town. Right. And he's going to go around making him 
making a, a a big scene like that. Well, I think he says it when he talks to Jesse about when he wants something, he goes and gets it and he wants her. And right. he, he he tried it with another and he tried it with another woman, but he the, didn't tell her the truth about his job. Right. So it then, ended up deteriorating. Right. But he waited until he was the finally divorced to go after. Uh, well, Jesse. they were dating a little bit, but then he just because they were going out for dinners and stuff like right. that. Yeah. So then he just said, finally, you know, that he just wanted what he wanted. And that's, and that's he went for it. I'm a stand up guy. <laughs> <laughs> I like the wedding proposal. So we want to get we're going to get married. Right. That's it. Me and you are going to get together. No, that's it. That's what's happening. Yeah. It's like, all right. No. <laughs> <laughs> I all, well, another scene that I really liked in this movie was when they bribed the judge. Do you, you know oh, when the hand signals with the, the, the fingers? So yes. the judge puts eight fingers on his cheek because he wants eight thousand. And then the <laughs> lawyer's like, no, judge. And he puts four fingers. I thought that was awesome. <laughs> yeah. I, what are they playing baseball over there? Right, picking his nose picking or something? His nose. Yeah, yeah, that's yeah. I'm trying to listen to this. I'm trying to listen to this. Yeah, no, I, I actually like that scene. What do you think about the? I, I know that the plot, the subplot's in there to get the kid. That really feels like the kid is just another part of his collage, but it's also to kind of how he gets in with Leo. Like Leo kind of owns him, like you say in the beginning. Right. What did you think about that whole subplot about the getting the kid? I didn't mind it. I do like that the kid just seemed like something he could have. Again, he's just filling out his collage. It's not something he cares about because he doesn't care about anything. Right. Um, well, see, I think he was starting to care about stuff. I think he was. I yeah. think he was, too. But you only get that toward the end. But I think, you know, him. you do get the sense that the kid was something else. At first, it was like, let's just have a kid. Oh, then we'll adopt. He just wants that collage. But when he goes to the adoption agency and that lady berates him for being basically having been an inmate and saying, oh, you're not good enough. And he's like, you want my watch? You want this? He's yeah. like, he's got a lot of money. And then he tells her, you know, I was born in the state system. I've looked at those walls. He's like, I don't care what kind of kid. You want to give me a black kid, yeah. a Chinese kid? He doesn't care. Yeah. It's like, you look at those walls and you suddenly think, you know, I'm nothing. And I, I want to take a kid away from that. You know, yeah. I'm not nothing. And I think that that scene is, is really powerful. And again, gives you a little bit more backstory on Frank. I think at that point, you get the sense that it becomes more than just filling out the collage now the kid means something to him okay yep yeah i I think that scene in the adoption agency is really good you like that scene as well but then again like you said it also helps serve up now leo owns you yeah absolutely you shouldn't have taken that deal so michael mann's first choice to play frank was jeff bridges how do you feel about that i obviously knowing con nick knocked out of the park is kind of difficult but yeah it's 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 tough this is Jeff Bridges pre-Starman? Because Starman's 84, I think. Yeah, this is pre-Starman. Yeah. I, I don't know. I've never seen Bridges play a role like this, but I Jeff Bridges is great in every role he's in. He would be good. I think it's just think, it's tough yeah. to compare because you've seen a performance that's you can't picture anyone else doing it. Right. Absolutely. I, I understand that. Uh <laughs> so you talk about we we've talked about how uh, he blows everything up at Danny, which he burns like five cars. He doesn't blow up the entire I dealership. I was like, you're out of gas. Already? That tells you, well, we, we didn't own the dealership. You know, we didn't build this. So we, we can only <laughs> just do the cars. That's fine. Uh, so he blows up the house at the end. So that's, that's a real house. They built a fake structure in front of the house to blow it up. And it was just, but they used too much and it damaged the real house and, and cracked the foundation of the real house. So they had to demolish the house and they had to send all the neighbors and the and obviously the residents of the house to like a hotel because because it damaged like some of the neighborhood as well. So it was not you know nice a little too much, but it but still Oops. it's it's a nice explosion. Yeah. 
I was surprised they booped the storefront too. I was like, what about the stores on the sides? That Is that a soundstage? Uh, I don't. There's like a really quick cut. They did it with the house too. So they have a shot of the house and then right, like right before the house blows up, there's a quick cut. Right. And then, so I think they did that with the green mill. But I think the green mill, they just blew out the front. I think like kind of like in uh, Die Hard with a Vengeance when they, yeah, the opened, they just blow. I think they just did that. That's how they're supposed to be usually. That's how they do them. This is obviously Michael Mann's first feature film that Mike brought that up. It's also his only film to be shot 185, to be shot flat. Uh, so I don't I mean, I just maybe just it was easier to do that way or something. I don't know. That would be my guess. Yeah, well, it probably, became a bigger. So he's like, no, we're going scope. Yeah, I'm going to want to do scope here. Sorry. No. Something that surprised me was that Willie Nelson, although he plays Oakla, the old man, quote unquote, he's yeah. only 48 when he did this role. Wow. Man, I'm 45. I'm three years away from that. I don't three look years like away from being the old, old man. Nelson. <laughs> Yikes. It's like time was different back then. Oh, of course. That's... James Conn's only 41, even though he looks like he's Well, look at Robert Prosky, like I said, is 50 in that. Yeah. He doesn't look 50 in that. He looks like he's like 65, 70. Well, definitely 70. Yeah. Yeah. But I mean, that's just, it's just how it is. That's just, just crazy to me. Tough living. That's because we eat all the preservatives, I think. Yeah, preservatives. Which I'm, I'm all about the nanobots in my body now. <laughs> all about that. The kids were yelling at me because I was like, I want to get nanobots. No, 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 no. That's what uh, I want. You're getting nanobots too. Inject me. Listen, <laughs> if you're looking for test subjects out there, I'm willing to do that. <laughs> I don't know how we got on that. <laughs> I have a note here that says that. James Conn did not want to use contractions in this movie. He wanted to, he tried not to like, say can't or don't because he, he thought that Frank would say everything out so, and slowly so that people would understand him once he wouldn't have to repeat himself. Now I didn't get that from the performance and like 15 minutes in, he goes, I'll, which is a contraction. So yep. I was just like, okay, that note, I love these notes sometimes suck. <laughs> Uh, I ain't going to say no contraction. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> but in the beginning of the movie, after the robbery, he's walking on the waterfront and yeah. he gives the sandwich to the old guy. That is an awesome shot. I have that. Yeah that, yeah, that shot's classic man. That's like, but that man knows how to compose a shot. That silhouette in the front of the water. They're on clearly on Lake Michigan. Yep. It's the just blues a, and the pinks. And I'm sitting there going, that's not green screen. That is a great, great shot. And I, I feel like, and I, when I saw it and I've seen this movie before, mm -hmm. but when I saw it, I, Totally forgot about that shot. I forgot about it until you just told me. I have a note about how good the shot is. Yeah. Because what's weird is that that guy never comes back. No. Into the film. Like, I thought maybe he'd see him again or that would be like where he goes to have like his peace of mind. Probably. It's, it's just a yeah. real quick shot. I would wonder if there are deleted scenes where he's in it a little bit more. Maybe. I mean, he only does two. He only does two uh, robberies. But you get the uh, he says he does two or three a month. Right. So you get the idea that after every robbery, he goes and has a coffee and sits at the side of the water at, you know, late Plans at night. Right. Or right. just sits there, whatever it is. Whatever that's his, that's when he winds down. You get the idea. But yeah, no, no. They never really go back to that. They never really. I mean, the movie's two hours, so I don't know what you're going to do in terms yeah, of. No, you know, yeah. And, yeah. No, absolutely. So I'm going to, I know I always ask who you suggest this to. Or why we think it's forgotten, but I'm gonna say I'm gonna start off and say who would I suggest this to? I would I think that um, like filmmakers, wannabe filmmakers, should see this movie. Sure, wannabe People, filmmakers. Well, you know what I mean. Aspiring People, filmmakers. As, as wannabes. <laughs> excuse, excuse, pardon my language. Aspiring filmmakers. <laughs> People that actually, you know what? I don't even want to say that. Aspiring storytellers. Uh, I like storytellers better than filmmakers because we have no one makes film anymore. <laughs> <laughs> Michael Mann's style is not for everybody. Some people just don't like like kind of like crime fiction. 
or true to life or real life people, you know, shading your movie. But it's when you watch a movie and you don't know who's directing, you can pretty much know it's Michael Mann by the what the movie's about or what's going on in the movie. Right. That's rare for a lot of people to do. I mean, it's, it's too, there's way too many filmmakers and storytellers out there who will create generic stuff. And there's great people that can go within each genre and they can work in different genres and that's fine. But there's still always like you can still see their talent coming through. So, I mean, Michael Mann's not going to make a romantic comedy and I would want him <laughs> to. This is definitely like a movie that people who just enjoy great storytelling, enjoy just the, the combination of acting and writing and directing and cinematography. This is a per- this is not perfect, film, but this is a perfect film to watch to have this discussion about it. I mean, we've been sitting here talking about the look of the movie for, I don't know how long we've been talking, you know? So, <laughs> right. you know, that, like there's a reason for that because no, there's, sure. it's chock full of all that stuff and it's great. You know, it, it, I know a lot of times well, uh, it's funny because all our episodes are always, they always differ. Sometimes we're just, you know, ripping on the movie. Sometimes we're like, we're laughing at different things and stuff like that. But sometimes right. there's movies like this where we're really into the, the making of the movie and just everything that, goes into the movie con's performance man's talent the the cinematography the, the music like we're all about that right right now. everything's yeah yeah and i think that that's something that that should be a a, a warnings for people not warning geez it should be a beacon for people who want to be aspiring star, uh, storytellers to watch something like this because you will you're not going to learn some tricks but you're going to see how it could be done right i don't know how you feel i think it's good to watch i think that there's some stuff maybe like 80s wise in terms of like lighting and stuff like that. You're not going to do now just because things are different. Now. Like what? Like just how you would light a night scene and how how night's going to look. You like don't man now wouldn't go back and do something exactly like. In terms of lighting, he would go digital and go with his lights, natural light, because that's kind of more his thing now. Well, what about collateral? Collateral is all digital. So let's that this. Right. And he tried to light it as naturally as possible. And that's how he lit Miami Vice. Well, see, I see, I, I, I kind of compare this. I think this movie aligns itself along with how Collateral looks in his oh, shot. Oh, so do I. It's I an evolution of it. Yeah, because I, I don't. As an aspiring filmmaker or storyteller, you gonna, can you can use filmmaker. Fine, I'm gonna use filmmaker. As an aspiring filmmaker, how I'm dare look you? At like, that's how I'm gonna light it. Yeah, because that's very throwbacky. But you, you still yeah. like some of his movements. The fact that he uses the real things. Like you watch a Michael Mann film about a thief and you know that he had a real like you didn't even have to tell me that. And I figured a real thief is doing that. They're actually that safe they cut into is like they're actually cutting into that safe. Yeah. I'm watching them cut into that mm. safe. Yeah. And you know that he did his research with actual criminals or the people who did all that stuff. Yeah. Because he does that for all his other films. And I think that's really, really impressive. I think that if you like Michael Mann and you watch stuff like Heat and Miami Vice and Collateral, you can go back to this and kind of see how he got there. In terms of acting, you look at James Caan and you look at his performance. And like you said, you're not going to maybe learn something. They're not teaching you lessons, but you can pick up some stuff. You can see some 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 pointers and see like that's how that should be done. Right. Figure right. out how to do that. It, yeah. I mean, I don't know how you feel. I mean, I think yeah, I know how you feel. But when I see something or when I was growing up and I was like, oh, I want to be I want to make movies and stuff like that. I don't know why I'm saying it like that, but um. <laughs> You know, you know, you, you there are movies that you watch and you're just like, wow, like, like, man, I want to do that. Like, there's yeah. just things. That, and I think Thief is one of those movies in terms of the grittiness and also the idea of he really broke in the safe. There's just a lot of different things. The diner scene, 
you know, I think I just older movies and maybe in indie movies as well. Now I, I like that everything's not perfect. Everything's not perfectly lit. I don't mind like everything looks grainy or dirty or like even because when he's doing that scene in the diner, you hear the cars and the trucks underneath them driving around. Right. And I'm fine with that. Like I don't in I'm going to bring it up again in Jaws when he's talking on the phone in the in his kitchen, finding about the girl getting killed and they're all talking in the background and let's, you know, close yeah. encounters when they're the kids are screaming and he's building the devil's tower out of mashed potatoes. Like I like all that because that's how it is. It's it's messy. Life is messy. And I don't. There's too many. There's a there's a onus on making everything too perfect now. And granted, that's not a new thing. That's been around forever. Like some movies right. just always want to have the perfect time and perfect moment. Everything's perfect and everyone sounds perfect and nothing's you know messy or dirty. But like that's I think why I gravitate towards movies like from the 70s and 80s and maybe independent films now through the 90s where it was just like pick up the camera and go. Let's get it. Let's get you know what I mean. That we're, right. You're when if you're riveted on screen and the the image is not perfect. That's because. The, the acting, the directing, the writing is all great. And you're all, that's why you're riveted like that. And that's that's I, like when we were watching Three Days of the Condor. Right. And they're filming New York and you see all the people like, what's, what the hell's going yeah. on? And they're walking by. Yeah. It's like, because they're just filming. Yeah, absolutely. So I guess, I mean, I think, do you think this is forgotten? I had never known about it until now. Until we brought it up? Yeah. Well, we talked about it when we did Collateral, right? That's Maybe why we put it on the list. briefly touched upon it, yeah. Yeah, that's why we put it on the list, I think. Um, no, you didn't put it on the list until way later. This is a new really? edition. Yeah. Interesting. Maybe we forgot about it. That's why. <laughs> <laughs> but I, I think it's forgotten. I think that as time goes on again, even though the acting and performances are great. And the way it's filmed is cool. The story is kind of cliched. And since then, there have been so many other crime films, so many other Michael Mann crime films, too. Mm-hmm. What do you think about Michael Mann? Now you think about Heat. Yep. As much as I love Collateral, <laughs> the one you think of is Heat. Well, and you think, of, the, Miami you think of that scene in Heat. You think yeah. of the big scene in Heat. That's a, that's a great scene. But yeah. Which you talk about the shootout? Oh yeah, when oh. there's no music and the it's first just... thing I ever th- think about is the conversation between Pacino and. Oh yeah, no, I love I love that. Which no, is yeah. again another really subtle well, acting piece. Wasn't that the this was that was I believe that was the first movie that they were on screen together, yes. and that's why it was a big deal. Yeah. Which was which it was a big deal and it was great. Yeah, yeah, but they because they were I know everyone's like well they were in Godfather two together not together. Yeah, but yes, well, forty years different. Yeah, exactly, <laughs> exactly. But no, I I think that. Some of his other films kind of outshine this in terms of memorability, in terms of about, general audience. Uh, Michael Mann. Michael Mann, yeah. yes. And I think that, you know, like you said, James Conn, everyone thinks of Godfather. Did you I see Rollerball? Have you ever seen Rollerball? I'm surprised I've, you haven't. I've only seen parts of Rollerball. The older one. Not the new one sucks. The old one. Only the old one. Yeah. I've never seen any of You should ones. watch it. It's a sci-fi movie, basically. Yeah. You should I'm, watch it. I've you would like been it. Interested. But also, this is really hard to get. What, Thief? Thief? Yeah, I know. But it's, it's not, again, when they make it a movie that's hard for audiences to see. I hate that. That also doesn't make yeah. it easy for you. Like, can't get on Netflix. Hulu, it's only available on Cinemax yeah. as of this recording, which Cinemax is absolutely impossible to, to watch unless you watch it on your, like, your laptop on a web browser. Oh, uh, what is it? What, what, Max, Max Go? Go? Yeah. It is not you, on any app. Would, it's not on Roku. You would think that would roll. I mean, I don't know. I didn't look, but it might roll into HBO Max. I would think so because they own it. They, it is not right now. No, now. which is stupid. So it's like you, hear you, that can't, you can't rent it on Xbox. You can't rent it on Amazon. You can't rent it on YouTube. You can't mm-hmm. rent it on PlayStation. Yeah, it 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 was nearly impossible to get. It is on the Criterion Collection. Listen, I don't want to go down the where the video store roll, roll, I do that too much. So yeah, no, I agree with you. Yeah, but it's, where are the video stores? Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> Luckily, this is on the Criterion Collection, so you can get right. it that way. Right. Um. But yeah, it, when they make movies like that, and it's not even that old, but when you make movies yeah. this hard to get, 
it's kind of hard to share they, it with people. They become, yeah, they become forgotten. Yeah. yeah. Like time forces them into that. Yeah. And I think the criterion is a, is it a, is it 4K? No. It's but, restored a little bit. Yeah. Like this looks good. Yeah. I thought, I thought, you know, for a movie that was forgotten about, I was expecting a lot of pops and green. Yeah. But no, this is cleaned up. Yeah. No, it's it's spine two six nine or something like that. Six ninety one, I thought, or five ninety one, or something like that. It's somewhere. I don't know. <laughs> <laughs> There's really no discussion about. I mean, I think the only thing that we differ on is you have a little bit lower of a of a like of of the cliche plot device and the plot points. Right. I don't, and that's fine. I think we both loved Khan in this. We both love man. Uh, you know, Prosky's good too. He's a he's a real he's a real jerk. <laughs> Ooh, he's a real jerk. All all the acting is is really yeah. well done in it. Yeah. You know, as as ridiculous as the cops are, I do really like the scene where he's getting beat up in the interrogation. They're room, beating the crap. And every cop in the basically the entire station is there. Yeah, like five. Of them. Why can't you just give us what we want? Yeah, and and that Prosky says that. Oh, excuse me, Leo says that to him. Just play ball. Yeah. You don't even let the cops take a thing. You can't do things the way they're meant to be done. Exactly. Uh, where are they tossing Belushi's body? By the way, where? Are uh, they? I don't know. I don't know. Are we supposed to assume that's acid or something? He did tell him that they'll be eating pieces of you and somebody's meat. Like he's gonna make them hamburgers. So while he's while he's burgers, he'll make them into burgers. Yeah. But so I don't think they're there. are they? I don't think that's where they are. No idea. Yeah. No idea where they are. I like. I thought it was like they were. They sound like they're like a, a cannery or a fishing fish place. Like you know, like one of those fish yeah, nurseries. I didn't know, but maybe they're dumping them into the uh, goo from Roger Rabbit. <laughs> <laughs> Remember me? I won't do it. I promise. <laughs> uh, yeah, I, it's it. It would be nice to have this movie so that when you talk to people about it, you'd be like, "Here, borrow mine." Because exactly. it's it's it makes pain. it hard to put it on a podcast episode because we can't tell our audience to go well, check it out. You know, go get it. <laughs> and in the in between, they probably weren't able. Well, they to can watch rent it. it. I think they can rent. Like I know on Roku, you can rent it off the Roku channel. Oh, can you? Yeah, you, there was there was like rentals for Fandango. You can rent it too. I think. Oh, I didn't see that. I didn't go through those two routes. Oh yeah, no, I just I, went for Cinemax on Roku, and I was like, all right, it's not there. And then I went PlayStation, Xbox, YouTube. So we have different Amazon. Roku players, right? Because I have the Voice one. I could have typed in. The, oh, come on, then you should have, because I always just I search by the voice, yeah. and that's when it and it just gives you the list. So you could definitely rent it somewhere, but in terms of like an easier place to get it, no, you're right, you're correct, you're absolutely correct. Ugh, yeah, but it's awesome. Watch the movie; it's awesome. We loved it. Or right, yes, no, yeah, we loved. it. I very much enjoyed. It. Excellent. <laughs> well, I like that. You're like a politician there. <laughs> well, we're gonna stay in the '80s. Oh, you know what? Screw that. Mike, where can everyone find us? You can find us on ForgottenCinemaPodcast.com, part of the Forgotten Entertainment family, which means you can find us on ForgottenEntertainment.com. You can also find us on the social medias as Forgotten Cinema Pod. We are on Facebook, Twitter, and Instagram. We're more active, I think, on the Instagrams and Twitter. Uh, yeah, I try to engage. I, I mean, Facebook, it's just basically share. And, yeah. And there. I know people sometimes get it through there, but and Twitter and Instagram, there's more of an engagement going on. A lot of people respond and stuff like that so yeah yeah that's me responding and i think for this commercial we're going to break into a safe <laughs> awesome so yeah check out our commercials every thursday let us know what you want what you guys think of our movies and as well as what you guys would like to see well we'll put it on the list we recently had somebody reach out to us we put their movie oh on the that's list, right so. yeah you know we do it, it might take a little while to get to it because our list is a bajillion movies deep but we'll get to it <laughs> yeah we had we we had um we did a whole season of audience choice. And I think we're yeah. trying to just get some of our choices in there now trying to, you know, because we have a big list, we've got to get right. through it. Yeah, absolutely. And we're going to be staying in the eighties next week. 
because we're going to be doing Oliver and Company from 1988. And it's a kid's movie. And I've never seen it. You've never seen Oliver and Company? Never seen it. Never saw it. So I've we'll seen see. it twice. Really? Yeah, it is not I one you, I've owned. You're the one. You, you put this put on this the on list. That, yeah. so that's fine. So we're going to we're doing some kids movies next week. Right. One kid movie. So we'll see. Hopefully I like it. Um, but uh, who knows? The music's good. Okay. I honestly don't remember much of the movie. I've, it's about dogs. That's, that's fine. <laughs> uh, dogs going to die in this? Not that I remember. All right, that's fine. All right, good. Otherwise, I wouldn't put it on the list. <laughs> Otherwise, I would remember it as something to stay away really from. Really tough. Really tough. It's like when you watch a horror movie and you see the dog, you're like, oh, here we go. Right. <laughs> no, I think the dogs are fine. Yeah. It's not all dogs go to heaven. No. Well, yeah, obviously, that kind of, you know, that's a spoiler title there. <laughs> <laughs> all right, everyone. Uh, we'll see you next week for Oliver and Company. I am Mike Field. I'm Mike Butler. This has been Forgotten Cinema. The fuck you to talk to me all right oh, I, oh man i forgot that's a, my favorite line is like i'm sorry does someone else walk in this room i oh, love like, that line i will never take a pinch from you you grief greasy <laughs> wop motherfucker <laughs> i'm sorry someone else i love that line damn it i forgot i should have brought it